Welcome to the Tech Ed Podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Welcome into the Tech Ed Podcast, where every week we talk with people doing amazing things in the world of technical education and in the world of business and industry. Today is going to be an episode about the latter, a phenomenal leader, someone who has a crazily unique take on the world of innovation. And we know how much our podcast listeners love innovation. It is my great pleasure to introduce to the audience of the Tech Ed Podcast, Alyssa Sanders. Alyssa is the Associate Director of Research and Development Engineering. Now, that's a pretty cool title at Baxter. Alyssa, awesome to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So we're going to keep a little bit of a secret from our audience, and that is that you have a relative who is very, very well known to the audience of the Tech Ed Podcast, but they're going to listen until a little bit later in our discussion for a name that's going to be recognizable to a lot of our listeners, somebody that's actually been on the podcast themselves twice. And so we're going to save that for later, but we'll look forward to asking you some questions about that relationship in just a little bit. I will give something away in that that is the individual to whom I'm referring is somebody who lived in the world of technical education for most of their entire career in a lot of different capacities. So we'll get to that. But you grew up with two educators as parents. So talk a little bit about how you discovered having two parents who are in the education industry or the world of education and pretty prolific in that world, finding your way to engineering. Yeah, thank you. So, of course, you said both of my parents were in education. You know, we've always, since you know, I was very little, did science projects at home, did exploring outside, looked at uh, nature and everything. But around seventh grade, my mom actually sent me to an engineering camp at the UW of Madison, Wisconsin, and that's the first time that I got my hands on what engineering was. And since that moment, I knew engineering was my pathway. And so, through high school, through college got my engineering degree and right out of college became an engineer. So how old were you when you went to that camp, by the way? Let's see, it was seventh grade. So I must have been, what, 11, 12? Yeah, 12, 13, probably something like that. So when we talk on this podcast all the time about how it's interesting experiences where students are in middle school and high school, and it's true, especially for girls, it's really, really important for them to not turn off to certain career pathways when they're in middle school, because often they will if they don't have the kind of experiences that you did at UW-Madison. So really, I mean, just as one quick observation, shows the absolute power of those experiences experiences when young people are young and and credit to all of our educators that are running STEM camps and running engineering camps and teaching STEM and engineering in the classroom because they're inspiring people like Alyssa Sanders. I want you to go through, you you know, you go through your middle school, high school, post-secondary education, and you were educated where I should ask you that. My undergrad, it's at Marquette University. Awesome. And that's my alma mater as well. So uh, <laughs> so we share that in common. Great engineering school. My wife is an engineering grab from uh, Marquette University. So now you get into your first engineering job. And what did you learn about the world of engineering that maybe the budding engineers of our, in our audience, the people that are just starting to think about their engineering careers, what did you learn early on as an engineer, Alyssa? Yeah, engineering is very, very vast, very different. Just because you're an engineer doesn't mean you have one set pathway. So a little bit about my educational background and my first steps in my career. 
I got my undergrad as a biomedical engineering. So I focused on engineering in the medical field, but my first career was actually in the automotive industry. And so you kind of pause and think, well, why did why did you go work for an automotive hand tool company? If you have a you know biomedical engineering degree, that doesn't seem to make sense. But the principles of engineering and the critical thinking skills and all the the you know math and science you learn it's very transferable to different types of engineering. And so just because you have your degree in one area doesn't necessarily mean you're stuck there. You can always move around and do different things. Um, Today, I'm in the medical field. However, I work with a lot of mechanical engineers. I work with a lot of, you know, uh, manufacturing engineers. So very diverse uh, set of skill sets. No question. I think you make a really good point. And and it's one that we make a lot of times when we're mentoring young people. And that is that whatever you decide to do out of high school, whether you're deciding to go into the military, you're going direct to workforce, you're going to a technical or community college, you're going on to a four-year degree pathway. None of those are life sentences. And very few people spend their entire life in the same career. I'm certainly an example of that. I actually studied accounting at Marquette University, and I do hardly any accounting anymore. I do a lot more technical stuff these days. So that's a great point is that as you're making those choices, none of those things are necessarily going to put you on that path forever. And to your point, being a biomedical engineer, getting to work with mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, manufacturing engineers, and certainly people outside of the engineering field as well. I think that's a a really, really important point for our audience, especially the younger members of our audience. So now let's talk about this road into healthcare. So you're with an automotive hand tools company. You find your way to a company called Baxter. So tell our audience a little bit about Baxter, what it is that you do, and, and let us understand the products a little bit as well. Baxter is a $15 billion company. It's been around for just over 90 years. Um, it started actually by two surgeons. They found an unmet need in their everyday practice, and then they were the first to manufacture IV solutions 90 years ago. Wow. Today, Baxter has hundreds of products that range still from the IV solutions, nutrition solutions. They do pumps. They've got dialysis uh, filter solutions, diagnostic equipment. And the, the part of Baxter that I support in is the advanced surgery department, which focuses on hemostatin sealants, um, adhesion prevention, you know, surgical remedies to help stop bleeding or assist surgeons um, in a surgical setting. Wow, what a what a fascinating company to think a company that was that was founded 90 years ago uh using IV solutions and then evolving into all of these different technologies. I mean it really is almost a microcosm for how our our world has evolved not just in healthcare but across every single sector of the economy. So now you're working with I'll be honest with you some of those words that you just used I've heard them before but I wouldn't be able to define them. So you're working with some of these really really uh, complex technologies and ideas and so on. As the associate director for research and development engineering, what's unique about the work of of a job like that? One thing that I really like about this this position is that I work very closely with our patients. I often talk to surgeons, nurses, but I also work on them, you know, very closely at the manufacturing side. So um, I'm in my position, you know, I'm really able to see the impact of the work that I do and the team, you know, that I have. I've got a team of engineers as well as project managers. Uh, I'm really looking at new product development, so innovation, but then also sustaining, which is a huge portion of, you know, everyday engineering and and companies just to keep products on the market and um, address any concerns that our, our customers may have. So fascinating that you get to work with a, an incredible group of people. I'd be interested, how many people like work on that team and, and what is some of the work that they're doing day in and day out, Alyssa? 
Yeah, so our R&D team is around 70 people. We actually have people across the globe. So Northern Illinois is our primary location. However, we've got teams over in Europe, India. We have teams that sit over in California. So very you know diverse and a global team that we have. Um, about 50% of our team focuses on just products on the market today. So that's going to be managing any regulation changes, label changes. If a supplier has a material change, we have to go through the process to update documentation and test to ensure materials are safe and compatible. Um, the other 50% will focus on developing pipelines. So that's where we have innovation, looking for those unmet needs, um, and then developing that through a new product development cycle for launches. It's a fascinating job. And you, you think about um, a lot of times when we think about research and development and you hear that word, you know, we think about what we're developing, the the next product, the next new technology. And certainly that's, you know, that's half of the work that you're doing. But the other half of it, and, and people forget this sometimes, is that once a product is developed, that doesn't just sit still. There's changes in regulation. There's changes in the market. There's going to be changes in perhaps features and benefits of those products. And so a huge part of R&D is investing in how we take the products that already exist in the marketplace and make them even better, whether we are doing that in a space where the product already exists and we're trying to improve this, the product that has already been released on the market, or we are creating you know, entirely new greenfield opportunities and research and development, both of that require innovation. And I know you have a unique perspective on that word innovation, Alyssa. Why don't you share that with us? Yeah, I think when a lot of people hear innovation, they think about you know, the shiny new next product, you know, what's going to be the the biggest new seller. But, you know, when I talk about innovation with my team, I, I tell them, I say, it's not always what's new, what's next. It's not the next product. It's how do you make the job better? You know, how do we make the design better? And so I tell them as they're working, if they're ever at a point where they're kind of stuck and saying, why are we doing it this way? Or, I shouldn't be spending so much time doing it like this. Like that's a starting point for innovation that could lead to design changes that could lead to process changes. Any of those changes are considered innovation because you're making something better. Absolutely. That's and so innovation really is making something better, whether we're innovating in a new space, whether we're improving an existing product. I can't help but reflect as, as you talk about that. And I spent you know the better part of my career in manufacturing and we used to tell the people on the shop floor exactly the same thing, which is just because we have a process or a procedure or a work instruction that has you doing it this way doesn't mean that that's the way we have to do it forever. And some of the best innovations that came about in my time in manufacturing came from the people on the floor asking those questions. Why are we doing this this way? You know, there's a better way. There's a, a, a new process that we came up with. Sometimes we'd have a Kaizen event or a continuous improvement event. And then we would apply the learning from that event to the process or the procedure itself. And so it, it sounds exactly the same in terms of what you're doing with your team, which is to say, look, don't accept anything as a given. Don't assume that just because this is the way that we do it or the way that we use it or the way that the product was designed, that that is how we are going to do this or need to do this forever. That is what continuous improvement is about, whether it's in terms of improving a process in manufacturing or it is in terms of improving a, a new product or, or an existing product, which I understand that you get to do, by the way, not just here in the United States, but all over the globe. You've got a global innovation team. So, so talk to us about that. You've got team members all over the world. How does that change the way that you work and how you look at innovation? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, unless you're kind of in a position where you are working 
very global. You don't always consider the differences that these teams might have. And I'll just give you one example. We have a a, a device that's on the market. It's been on the market for well over 15 years, but we're putting it into a new region. We're launching it into the Japan market for the first time that this product has ever been there. And what's interesting is when we move this product over there, you know, we thought this product's been around for so long. The design has been set. No issues. Perfect. We'll just launch it. We go to launch it and realize that the battery holder doesn't fit the Japanese battery sizes. So just because a battery size in one market is, you know, the size it is doesn't necessarily mean that that's the same in every other market. So you kind of take a step back and realize, hey, you don't you don't understand what those true differences are until you're actually working with those you know teams or with with that market. So it's it's interesting to consider how those differences actually make products stronger and how make teams stronger and really you know highlights the value that diverse teams um both regionally, culturally bring to making exceptional products. You know, it almost reminds me, and this is an old, old story, but if anybody remembers the Chevy Nova, which is a vehicle that was around, you know, 40 some odd years ago, uh, when Chevrolet released that in Mexico, it didn't sell and they couldn't figure out why it was a really popular vehicle here in the United States. It wasn't popular at all in the, in the country of Mexico. And then they realized that N-O-V-A in Spanish means doesn't go. And they were marketing a product of its transportation product into the Mexican market uh, with a name called Doesn't Go. Then they changed the name of the, the product and, and all of a sudden the, the sales improved. And so it is one of those things where we don't always know culturally and or in terms of technology, how something is going to play in another country. So do you, do you have an innovation in terms of people? You've got people here in the United States. Do you have a, a global um, development team as well that's working on R&D across the globe or is that mainly here in the US? We're global as well. So we our team does have people that sit over in um, Austria, Belgium, India, and then we also have a few across the United States, so California, Northern Illinois. So we are set up fairly diverse. Um, That's just our team. Baxter has many other research and development groups that have um, locations outside of those areas, including China. Um, So, you know, we try to utilize all of our support throughout Baxter to strengthen not only our team, but just the overall Baxter product lines. Fantastic. So you have this opportunity to work not just in global markets, but with people from all over the world, which I think probably makes the team even stronger. In fact, it definitely does. You're getting multiple perspectives. You're getting different worldviews and so on. And anytime we can create that diversity in thought, we're creating uh, certainly better ideas, better products, and better solutions. So, so how fortunate are you to be able to work with great people all around the globe? You're also fortunate to have a really interesting education background in terms of, to your point earlier, biomedical engineering degree, undergrad from Marquette University. And did you continue your your education after after your undergrad? I did, yeah. So I went back to school, got my master's of engineering management at Eastern Michigan while I was actually working in my career. I really enjoy engineering, but I also enjoy the leadership side, the people side, which is what led me to that engineering management degree. Which I think is another great point, right? Because just because we're choosing a degree or a pathway in engineering doesn't mean that we can't find our way into into leadership as you have, Alyssa, and have all these individuals that are 
working with you on your team. And so uh, continuing the education, understanding the management and leadership side of engineering and, and of you know corporate management for that matter as well. What a great pathway that, that you've had. So you've had great experience in higher education, but from your own education experience, Alyssa, what, what do you think we could do at the higher ed level to even better prepare students for the kinds of careers that you've had in, in manufacturing and, and in uh, industry and healthcare and, and in product development and R&D as well? Yeah, I think, you know, higher education gives a really good foundation. It gives you that critical thinking skills that you need to take in the workforce. The real big eye opener that I had going from being a student into my career was what actually engineers did. So that real world experience and how, you know, it very much differs from what you find in textbooks or what you learn in school. And so, for me, it's that connection of, you know, what actually goes on when you're an engineer. And I know that earlier I said that's a very diverse question. You can do a lot of different things. But the more opportunity you have to bring those type of experiences into that learning, I think the stronger you are going to be coming out of your education. So let's go just a little bit deeper on that. You mentioned something where you said the perception that you had while you were in school, and then once you got into the workforce, the, what engineering was all about was a lot different. Are there any examples or any any thoughts that come to mind in terms of how that was different, what your, what your view was while you were going through your education pathway, and then what you actually found when you got into the workforce? I think a big one in the medical field, uh, especially, is working with the Ministry of Health, so FDA or other ministries of health in other regions. You know, the Ministry of Health can have, you know, a lot of direction on where a product goes. There is no one set way to develop something. And even if you go by the books or go by the steps that you think you need, the Ministry of Health could come back and say, that's not approved. You have to do more work. So understanding those regulations and how regulations change and how those different functions play a factor into your overall product development. The other piece, too, is cross-functional teams. You as an engineer cannot design something and manufacture something on your own. It takes marketing, it takes finance, it takes regulatory, manufacturing, quality. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of different players to make a product development successful. And so understanding how each of those people play a role in the overall innovation and development cycle is going to be critical to the overall success of the program. And so you know, I know that there's um, some capstone programs that are, you know, colleges that do those nowadays, which sometimes tie that marketing teams in there. But the more you can get your, you know, different career functions together and kind of show how the teams come together and, and create something, I think the better, because that's truly what you do when you go into the workforce. Absolutely. I think that's just a great point. I think about my years in innovation and my years in product development and in manufacturing as well. And, and you think about it, it's, you know, we start out with listening to the market and understanding what it is that the market needs and where there's an opportunity to either do something better, do it less expensively, do it more efficiently, create a product that can really change lives. And that's so very important. And that that starts out in the field with the with the customer. And then we have to do all of our design work and make sure that we're understanding, you know, how we design the product for its application and tons and tons of, of, of R&D and of repeated testing and then testing that product with the consumer, understanding the appetite for the product and then understanding how we're going to price that product in a way that both meets the market where it is and also creates a margin and 
and profit for the company, really, really important. Now you're kind of into the finance side. So we've talked about marketing. We've talked about maybe sales and understanding customers' needs and what their requirements are. And then we then we talk about the finance side and understanding pricing. And, and now we've got to make sure that that product is something that we can manufacture. And I can't tell you how many projects I've been around where you know we put a bunch of really great engineers in the room and they came up with a great solution and then they just handed it to the manufacturing people and said, here, make this. And it's like, boy, if we had been integrating the manufacturability of that product into the design, we would have been way further ahead. Head. So including the manufacturing side and then, you know, to your point, the sales and marketing of getting that product out in the market and, and creating that return for the company. So all of these different elements that go into design and manufacturing. So those are just great observations in terms of uh, of all the different cross-functional teams you're involved in once you get into the workforce. Not to mention the fact that to your earlier point, regulations change and, and being up to speed on whatever whatever that governing body or that regulatory body that is tracking performance in the space that you're in and knowing what the pertinent regulations are and understanding how different regions of the world and different parts of the globe may look at regulation differently and making sure that our products are complying with those regulations and doing that before the fact rather than after the fact. Two great examples, I think, that a lot of folks, whether they're in an engineering pathway or any of those other pathways, for that matter, may not recognize how much of that goes on when they get into the work world. So I want to go back. You, you mentioned a little while ago developing a product for Japan and actually trying to understand the, the way the batteries work in Japan and maybe having a presupposition or a presumption that proved not to be correct um, or not to be accurate and having to do some redevelopment. I've actually been to Japan twice. And one of those two trips to Japan was with your father. And uh, as I mentioned in our introduction here today, uh, we actually know your your dad well, and I think many members of our audience know him well um, also. And so we're at that point of the discussion where we're going to talk. If somebody is trying to figure out from your last name who that person might be, they spend a lot of time spinning their wheels because your last name is is different from your father's. And um and the individual that we're talking about is Dr. Brian Albrecht. Dr. Albrecht is the president emeritus of Gateway Technical College in Southeast Wisconsin. And you grew up uh, really, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to say in the shadow, but I, I would just tell you, as you probably heard from a lot of people, if you look at leadership in technical education, especially at that technical and community college level, your dad is probably the most well-known leader in that entire space. Everybody knows Brian Albrecht. Everybody respects Brian Albrecht. He's a great personal friend of mine as, long, as well as being a great, a great professional colleague. We've worked on so many different projects together. So great respect for your father. But now I have you on this podcast and I have this opportunity to maybe do a little bit of digging into the man that is Brian Albrecht from a side of the discussion uh, that many of us don't don't get to see. So you did grow up with, with an incredibly strong leader, uh, an icon in technical education as a father. You know, is there a thing or two that you could share with us about Brian Albrecht that maybe we wouldn't necessarily recognize on the surface or might surprise our listeners a little bit? He definitely likes to share a lot of stories. So I don't know what he might not have shared because he seems to share everything. But, uh, you know, I am very fortunate to grow up with a, a very lifelong mentor. I mean, from when I was very young, I, you know, was able to kind of see how my dad has led and has really pushed education and the importance and the value of making those connections and building the education. But maybe something that, you know, I look back on and reflect um, kind of a, a funny story you know, when I was in high school, he had accepted position at Gateway down in Kenosha, but my mom and I were still back in the Madison area. 
every week he would still drive home, you know, multiple times a week to see my sporting events. He'd come home on the weekend. So a lot of time on the road. And as everyone probably knows, he loves Mountain Dew. So there was one night we were kind of chatting about this experience and, and we did a quick calculation to see how much Mountain Dew did he actually drink through all of that, you know, communi- commuting back and forth between Racine and and Madison. And, and we got to a point where it was almost a swimming pool full of Mountain Dew that he drank just through those commuting. And, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm very appreciative that he did all of that time, but it's kind of funny thinking just the sheer volume of Mountain Dew he was drinking to, to stay awake. And it doesn't surprise me for a minute that he was that dedicated as a as a father and as a husband, equally dedicated to the world of education and, and took his family just so incredibly uh, seriously and, and still does. I can tell you that he talks about your, your family and, and your children all the time as well and is su- such a proud grandpa as well. So uh, so just a great, great human being. I'll tell you a quick, I've got, I've got a bunch of good Brian Albrecht stories as well, but there was a time when he and I were working on a project. This goes back about six or seven years. And we always joked that he seemed like he could be everywhere at one time and that he never slept. And I, you know, I, I kind of pride myself in being able to run at a pretty quick pace myself. And there was a night where I was on the road, I was in a hotel room and I sent your dad a text at 10 after 11 at night, right? So I sent this text out to him. I put my phone down. I went to sleep. I had an early start the next morning. I was up at four in the morning and your dad had texted me at 11.15. So five minutes after I sent the text at 11.10 and had sent another text five minutes before I got up. And so he, on both ends of that was, uh, you know, whatever sleep I wasn't getting, he was able to, uh, to function with even, even less sleep and, and just do so at such a high level. So, so it's a, it's a great story. And it's also a little bit amazing for somebody that could drink a swimming pool full of Mountain Dew. Your dad keeps himself in incredibly great shape as well. So I'm not quite sure how he does that either. It must be that metabolism he creates from, from running at such a, such a fast speed. Is that it? It must be, but you know, don't let him fool you. He does like to take naps after dinner, and you know, while he's watching the news, he's got the recliner up. Awesome. Well, so that see, that's the kind of thing that we wanted. Was exactly the swimming pool full of Mountain Dew, and in spite of all yeah. that caffeine surging through his veins, the the ability to also turn himself off and and take a nap. So, thank you for having a little bit of fun uh, chatting about your dad, who again, for somebody for whom I just have tremendous respect, Dr. Brian Albrecht president emeritus at uh, Gateway Technical College and just an incredible leader in technical education. We're running back toward the back end of our time here with with Alyssa Sanders, Associate Director of Research and Development Engineering at Baxter. But we do have time for one last question, Alyssa. It's one I love asking every single uh, guest that we have here on the Tech Ed Podcast. And that is if you could go back in time and maybe not back in time as far as some of us would have to go, but you go back in time to your 15-year-old self and you had an opportunity to give that individual one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, I, I would tell myself, you know, careers can go exactly as you plan, but more than likely, they're going to take a lot of unexpected turns. Um, but always know that there's value in every experience you have and use those experience to build yourself in your team, because after every situation, you're always going to become a better person. Absolutely. That's just absolutely great advice. I love that. The whole idea that, um, you know, none of us know where our career is going to go and and being open to opportunity as you clearly have and having one career path that maybe you thought was um, the ideal one or the one that you were going to follow and then finding yourself in this this position of R&D at Baxter, which is certainly aligned with your education pathway, but but has blossomed into so many more things that it otherwise might have. That is that is great. Take advantage of every experience, value every experience, as you say, Alyssa. And we've really valued the experience of spending time 
with you, Alyssa Sanders, the Associate Director of Research and Development Engineering at Baxter. Thank you so much for taking some time for us on the TechEd Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the TechEd Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.